Good evening, good evening. Welcome to Reconnect My Heart Podcast, the show that we talk about life's problems that may break or tear our hearts apart. On Reconnect My Heart, we'll discuss God's answers to life's problems to reconnect our hearts back to the way he originally made us. I'm your host, Brother Prade. I'm so glad, so glad you are able to join us. If you have any questions, comments, or if you just want to listen to the show, feel free to call us at 516-453-9118. That's 516-453-9118. Or you can catch us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or even Periscope. You can catch us on many other um, outlets, media outlets. So feel free to catch us and contact us with questions, or comments, or even prayer requests. Also, for those who may want to catch us on the chat room, which is on our website at www.org blogtalkradio.com forward slash reconnect my heart we are logging into the chat room as we speak and it is available right now also for those who are wanting to talk to us feel free to call once again 516-453- Nine one one eight. I apologize for the for the late time that we started had some technical difficulties, but this is a very very special episode today. I'm actually going mobile, and I have a very special guest on today's show. Our very special guest, the talented, the author, musician, songstress, songstress. Miss Monica Ellis. For those that know Monica Green, well, she's Monica Green Ellis. Monica Green Ellis, she will share with us her story of facing and overcoming her personal issues and lessons that she learned from them and much more in the episode called The Other Side of Infirmity. The other side, the uh, not this side, but the other side. And so what we're going to do since we had uh, technical difficulties, we're down to one mic. So I'm going to remove my mic and give it to her and I will speak loud enough for y'all to hear. But I'm very excited to have our very own Miss Monica Ellis with us at this time. How you doing, ma'am? Great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, I'm excited. I've been knowing her uh, for many dog years, um, we're not gonna say, we're not gonna say the age, but um, we go way back since the eighties, and so she has been. I've watched her grown from a kid to an adult, and just to see how God has moved and blessed her life, and now she's a mother, a wife, and just doing miraculous things and so I want to make sure that uh, the world got a chance to know not just this young lady but her ministry her story so I'm going to remove the mic and give it to her and just for those who may not know you if you can introduce the audience to who Miss Monica Ellis is well I am um, a God-fearing 
fun-loving sister, wife, mother who loves the Lord. Um, I already said that. I said it twice. That's how much I love him. Um, I am a prayer warrior. I am eclectic. I love all different types of music. I love to read. I love to listen. I love to be with my friends, my loved ones. I just, I love to laugh and have fun, but I'm also no-nonsense. Um, very compassionate. I feel other people's pain. So when people are telling me about their pain, I take it very seriously. And um, I'm just glad to be here. And um, I look forward to sharing with everyone about uh, who I am, more about the book, The Other Side of the Infirmity. I'm excited what God is getting ready to do this year, this decade. I am claiming this year to be one of healing, one of victory. It's time to repair, bring all the broken pieces together and be made whole so that we can go forth and do what thus says the Lord. So, yes, that is who I am in a nutshell. Let's read, write. I even love a little arithmetic. (laughs) So, that's me. That's me in a nutshell. So, are you are you originally from Dallas? I am from Irving, a little small black community called Bear Creek. Bear Creek. And if you if you shout out to my Bear Creek community, if you are um, from Irving, you 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 may know about Bear Creek, but it's kind of over there where DFW Airport area is, off of Esther, tucked off in there. Uh, not the rich part of Irving <laughs> at all. Uh, grew up with uh, crops. You can get some shell peas around the corner, some collard greens, watermelon, the whole thing. I grew up country. So, yeah, it, it's a country part of Irving. But, yes, I'm from here. I'm from Texas. Texas born and bred. Texas born and bred. Now, do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister. Um, her name is Lucretia. Hi. Hi. Uh, and I have a younger brother. His name is Joshua J. Green. J. Green. <laughs> now he's now I'm not the musician. I just sing and I I do arts like with writing and things like that. But uh, he's a musician, just like my mom. My dad was a musician as well. God rest his soul. Uh, they they organ piano. Um, Josh does that, and he does the drums too. And he is a phenomenal singer. Yeah. And my sister, she uh, she used to play the drums too, yes, and she, she yes she did, and played them well. Now yes, yes, I remember she didn't yes. mess around, and uh, and she also is a phenomenal singer as well. So I just have a musical family. Yes, and yes. God uses each each sibling differently. Yeah, yes. completely differently. Great family. Uh, like I said, I've been knowing the family for. So many years, so many years, and um, not just the whole family, but also individually, each one of them has been so much of a blessing to me individually, my family, and also our church. I remember um, actually my sister, you, our sister and I, when we first met you all, uh, family, 
from the family church, from y'all family church, uh, we used to look forward to seeing you all because you all reminded us of the family DeBarge. Yeah. <laughs> we called y'all the gospel DeBarge. <laughs> and then the pastor, which so happened to be your uncle, yes. um, we called him Benny Hill. Yeah. <laughs> so he Yes. We go way back in Yes, Uncle Glenn. Yes. So the family is just so rich, so talented. Um, so coming from that kind of family, especially coming from the uh, a Christian foundation, mm-hmm. um, how important was that in your life growing up, and then also um, the young lady that you came today? My family. I have a family of. Um, ministers, missionaries, evangelists. Um, so all I know was, it was church. You know, I grew up in the church. I mean, literally, I was there almost every day, uh, morning, night. And they, they, what they did, they fostered, they definitely fostered a love for Jesus at an early age. I genuinely loved going to church. I loved the experiences that we were going to see. I loved to see the people. I loved, I loved prayer meetings. When we would go to the prayer meetings, noon prayer, and then when we would do the shut-ins, as a little girl, I would be up, and, you know, most people would fall asleep, and we'd go on sessions or whatever, but I'd be up. It was just so exciting to me to see what God was going to do differently. That love for God was always there. and. Uh, what it was, uh, I would go to church as much as I knew about the Lord and saw God, I mean, move in a powerful way. I mean, I saw demons cast out in Jesus' name. I saw cancer spit up growing up. That's how I grew up. Grew up. And um, when we were at the church in Polly, in Fort Worth, Polly, um, on Vaughn Street. And, um, but one day, you know, one of my childhood best friends, Rhoda, Rhoda Barbie, I don't know where she is now, but uh, she said, but have you personally asked God to come into your heart? Mm. So I'm grateful that I attended a Christian school to have my best friend and her mother taught there. And I said, no, I never asked God to come into my heart. And she said, well, you want to come with my mom right quick, you know, and they led me into the prayer of faith and I, I believe it. Her mom asked me, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And he was, you know, and I accepted God into my life. And I didn't really experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit until I was nine years old. Um, it was a youth revival in Fort Worth. Um, and I mean, it was like liquid fire poured on all of the children there. It was something like I've never experienced. And I mean, all of us, I mean, in some ways, I mean, immediately got the Holy Ghost. And um, my life was never the same after then. I'm so glad that I was exposed to God and that the love of God was uh, fostered and cultivated in my life at an early age, because it definitely shaped who I am now. And um, sometimes you have to grow up and, and, and get exposed to the love, and then you may drift away. What do they say? You're supposed to train up the child in a way so when he's old, he won't depart from it. And even if it seems like that child is drifting, rest assured, the Bible is true, that child will come back. So I drifted for a little bit, 
when life's experience, you know, experiences brought me to that place where my faith was shattered. Um, but because of my love for God, I couldn't stay away. I just couldn't stay away from him. And he dealt with me even heavily, more heavily, uh, as a backslider. Then he, you know, when they say he's married to the backsliders, he really is. Because, I mean, he talked to me just like I'm talking to you right now. Um, and I just, the love for God and having that that put into me at an early age, it, it, it's brought me through so many things. And so I'm grateful for my upbringing in the church. Definitely. Um, definitely. So as a believer, even a young believer, a young person that was a believer, um, a lot of people feel because you are saved that, you know, you won't experience anything or because you're saved that, you know, everything is going to go peaches and cream. Mm -hmm. Um, For those who may feel that way, can you tell them what the truth is? (laughs) The truth is, (laughs) what did the Bible say? We will have, you know, um, we will have many, I'm pulling a blank right now. We, as, as, as a child of God, as a daughter and as a son of God, you will experience many trials and tribulations. They will, people will persecute who they, you know, whoever they is in, in your life, people will persecute you because you're different. And the sanctification process, the call to sanctification, it separates you from the norm. And you're always going to stand out like a sore thumb. I don't care uh, when I tried when I tried uh, to uh, when I call myself backslide. I, no, I did backslid. <laughs> I did, I did. But uh, when I call myself trying to go, you know, out to the parties or clubs or, or different things like that, people will come up to me and say, "What are you doing here? Right, 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 right. You're an angel. You're not supposed to be in here. You, you stop your thumb." And I'm like, "What? I'm just trying to have fun, just like you. Get out of here. Yeah. Leave." I mean, putting myself in certain situations, uh, no, no, I can't, no, you can't partake in this and that. It's something about you. And so, uh, you know, you will stick out that sanctification. You you are called to be set apart. You will have persecution. You will have trials and tribulations. But what did God say? But I've already overcome. I've already overcome the world. So that is our promise that God will be with us in the midst of those trials and tribulations and they will be hard because what he's trying to do, I learned he's trying to shape our character to, to reflect him. And so um, all of the different flaws and different things that we have, he's trying to prune those things that are not of him and use those weaknesses and those flaws as ministry. You know, we all have our different quirks, uh, personality quirks, but it's for a particular audience that he wants you to reach. And I'm like, OMG, you are something else, God. And so, um, yeah, um, it's not going to be peaches and cream every day. But the joy that he can give you, the peace that he can give you when you're going through, is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. You just have to tap into it. I heard um, years ago I was actually at 
a friend of mine's house, excuse me, at a friend of mine's grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. And she said something that really struck me, and you were kind of alluded to it. But she said, to be noticed is to be different. Yes. And especially when God has his hand on you, like you said, you can go anywhere and people will ask you, you know, what are you doing here? Or you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I went somewhere. And I was actually going there just to ask a question. And the lady asked me, you know, do you know where you're at? You're not supposed to be in here. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, thank you, and I left. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seemed like everybody else could do the same thing, mm-hmm. but it seemed like you you can't do that. Can't get I don't away. care how you try to do it. It's actually it's not, it's not really your element. Mm-hmm. It's like you 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 somewhere else. You're supposed to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And even if you try your hardest to fit in, people are gonna come to you. They don't even listen. I'm not talking about just the people that know you. I'm talking about the people that don't know don't you. Don't know you. They're gonna come to you yes. and say, Hey, um, you don't belong here. Right. Absolutely. Um, so with you experiencing that, um that take that took you to through your childhood through your teenage years and then um to your adulthood um how was the experience now that you're because you went to um college and everything mm-hmm. um now you knowing god as your personal savior mm-hmm. uh, how was that journey where you didn't you couldn't depend upon the faith of your mom or mm-hmm. the faith of your father the faith of your actually your uncles and aunts and all mm-hmm. that for you to be able to now walk this journey yourself, can you explain to us um, part of that journey process? Yeah, the transition, um, because like you said, I had a village around me. Uh, it wasn't just mom and dad. I had a village around me. Um, I'm so grateful to have had that village. Without that village, I probably would have fallen apart after my, di- my dad died um, when I was 11, before I turned 12 my dad died and um, he was just a glue that held everything together. And um, without that village, I definitely would have fell apart. But as I continued to live life and um, I will say this, because my dad died at such a young age, I was, I was so young when he died because he died. That was the beginning part of me transitioning into this is not my mama's God. This is my God. Because he died at such an early age, I grew up fast as far as faith-wise. I experienced my mother's God, how how good God was to my mom. And I, I witnessed how good he was to my father while he was living and my uncles and my aunts, my grandmother, you know, my cousins that were like my sisters. Um, But when he died, that whole dynamic shifted. And um, I couldn't say that that was their God anymore. It became a personal, a very personal thing to me because I had to talk to God so much. I had to talk to uh, God so much because that was a deep pain. I was a daddy's girl, okay, uh, stereotypical daddy's girl with me and um, as I just went through that painful process I and the more I talked to God we developed relationship 
And then it wasn't, I need to call on my mama to pray for me all the time. Now, sometimes I got into some, as an, as an adult, I, I was in some situations, I'm like, mom, I need you to pray for me. <laughs> and you have to do that. That doesn't mean that you don't have your own personal relationship, but sometimes you have to call on a lifeline. Right, right, right. But yeah. yeah, you have to back it up and, and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. But I, I experienced that transition before legal adulthood, before 18, I experienced uh, that transitioning of shifting from that's my parents' God to that's my God too. Um, I experienced that, I would say, fairly shortly after my father passed. Um, and I was, like I said, I was right before, it was right before I turned 12. I, he, he passed May 1st and I turned 12 uh, uh, July 30th. So, yeah. Yeah, because talking to him as much as I did, talking to God as much as I did, the relationship dynamic, the dynamic shifted. And you could come in my room. I mean, there were times as a child, I would pray and fast as a child. And, um, and they were like, you, you can't do it too much. I'm like, I just, just let me do it just a little bit because I, I really need to spend that time. You could walk into my room and tell an atmosphere shift because I would be praying in there so much um, because that's the only way I could get peace. You know, loss, uh, grief will make will disrupt your peace big time, yes, yes, yes. big time. Yes. And so that's the only way I could get peace was that dialogue between God and I. So it definitely shifted uh, early for me. Matter of fact, while we're speaking, what I'm doing, I'm making sure that for those who may have questions or comments, or I'm going to make sure that I'm able to catch you all's uh, comments. So if there's any questions that y'all have, y'all can feel free to still shoot them out. So as we online, you're welcome to send your comments or send your questions as we as we're uh, doing the interview. Now now with your your walk with God and and especially that uh situation do you do you feel or would you say that that's the that's the the most impactful experience that that really made you see God in a deeper personal level? Yes, pain. Pain made me see God in a completely different way, in a different light. And it, it went from a God that I feared. I still fear God as far as I revere him. I honor him. But uh, when I was younger, it was, I was scared, you know, and um, because you read those Bible stories and, you know, as a child, you know, your imagination is so vivid and it, it comes to life. And you're like, ooh, he caused all that to happen. Whoa. And I was scared of him. But through pain, I it, it went from a God that I feared to a, I was like, oh, he's kind of gentle, too. He's my friend, you know, and it shifted drastically. And I was like, he's my friend. I can talk to him about anything. I'd be watering my plants, talking to God, talking to God. I'd go on walks. I'd talk to God. I was a very different child. Um, God kept me together. Literally, he kept me together when I felt I was going to lose it. Um, so, yeah, early, I that 
pain. I would that's the answer. Pain caused the the relationship change between God and I. Um, he became he went from the God that I feared to the God that I loved as a friend, one that was approachable, one that I could bring all of the stuff I was too scared to say or too fearful to say to people or whatever. All my secrets, I told God all my secrets. And I finally was like, you know, I might as well tell you because you already know. Yeah. <laughs> you were there. You're everywhere. And so I would tell him all the stuff, all the emotions that I wanted to say and couldn't say it to people I could tell God. And so we just became, my family often thought I was talking to myself. And I was like, that girl is talking to herself. <laughs> I'm talking to God. But, uh, yeah. I, I do have to include this this little part because, like I said, uh, been knowing her for many years in the family and uh, very gifted, especially when it comes down to your worship with God. Now, can you also talk to us about, especially you being uh, a songstress? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always, always, especially, you know, for those that don't know, uh, there was there was uh, they had a group called Second Generation. First generation was uh, their mother, their mm-hmm. father, it's aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like I said, the gospel debauch. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. I mean, just picturing them, and, and they were so young. Uh huh. The they, ensemble. They, right, yeah, right, right. that's what they were they, called. They were, they were our age mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Fact, younger, than younger than that, yeah. Um, but now being able to see that in in the midst of the pain and you knowing God in the intimate level, now when it comes down to the, not just the private uh, moments or the private um, the, uh, private devotion, now the public devotion where mm-hmm. you praise and worship mm-hmm. in church, you know, um, you you would take us there in worship. Mm-hmm. You know your sister, your family, your 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 mom, and and being able to to do that. Now, can you share with us that important element to be able to not just do it publicly, but also incorporate that in your private time? Oh my goodness! Um, the only way I can do it publicly is because of what I do privately. Right. Privately. Uh, I was saying um, last week, I was saying that if I don't get my morning, my early morning devotion, uh, praise, worship time in, I feel off all day. And because I have uh, that relationship with God and I spend that time with God, when, by the time I'm I'm uh, getting ready to do it in church in a corporate setting, I'm already ready. I've already been doing this. Let's go. Let's do it together. And it should be greater when you do it together. But, you know, you you kind of pulled by some of those people who don't do it in the private time. And you're like, oh, ooh. Yes, that private time is critical to the corporate worship. You have to, you have to know God. You have to be able to invoke the presence of God. And you can only do that if you are doing it on a regular basis in the privacy of your home. Wherever home is, in your car sometimes. I don't like to do it when I'm driving too much because I get lost and I'm like, ooh, we. 
Yeah, but that private time with God makes it easier to usher people into God's presence because people know when you fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People know when you're putting on a performance, and and they can sense when your heart is sincere, when you have a heart for God, and your heart only softens towards God when you're spending that private time with Him. So. Yes, the private time makes a huge difference in the corporate worship. By the time it's corporate time, I've shut all these people out, and it's just me and God. And literally, it it feels like it's just me and him. When I'm singing in the church, it's just me and him. And then I'll hear people, and I'm like, oh, yeah, back to where I am again. But it's, it's just like I do what I, well, when I'm private, I go big private. <laughs> Sometimes public, I'll cut loose a little bit or a lot of bit. But yes, the private time you spend with God definitely makes a difference in your corporate worship. People say they spend time with God and in the corporate setting, they're sitting there. Uh, something should be, you know, even when I was sick in a corporate setting, that praise and worship going on in a corporate setting, that would just put strength into my body and I I would just I mean I couldn't just I'd be rocking or something you know but that's how you know it's real that's how you know it's real and, and when people are spending that private time with God you know I will say this um last week I was going to try to catch her on the podcast last week but um she had laryngitis and then as you can tell last week I was kind of congested too and she ended up singing last week, a week before last, and she sung at church, even in the midst of having learned that her voice was coming and coming, going in and out. And she sung, she sung on the north, and it was like it was better than some people who had full vocal range. And so that, that worship is so, so, so important. Now, I didn't get a chance to mention in the beginning, but her book, The Other Side of Infirmity. Yes. Um, now, in the midst of you having the foundation of um, of who God is mm-hmm. toward, uh, from your family, mm-hmm. and now who God is from your own personal, your own personal uh, Savior, mm-hmm. um, can you share with us what led to your infirmity first? Ooh, that's in chapter one. In chapter one, I talk about uh, the woman of pain. I, <laughs> the infirmity, no, oh, goodness, let me see. Where do I start? I, I was at the doctor. I kept, you know, getting, my body would get down. I'd get sick and, you know, it, it became a chronic pain. You know, usually acute, you know, it lasts for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, but it it was chronic, long-lasting pain, um, widespread pain all over my body. Um, And then my immune system would break down and I, you know, different organs would get attacked. Um, And during that time, uh, one of the doctors that I saw was a pain management doctor and I was filling out the questionnaire. He's asking all these personal questions. I'm like, what does this have to do with physical pain that I'm feeling in my body, but he, it had questions. Uh, have you ever been sexually abused or molested? Um, 
what is the psychological background of your father, your mother, your sister, your brother? What uh, physical illnesses have they dealt with? What are their ages? Are all of them still living or, or are they deceased? And I didn't see what was the connection. You know, I was like, why is he asking these personal questions? So some of them, I'm just going to be honest, I didn't answer. I just put bare minimum or I put nothing. And he said, why don't you answer these questions? I said, because what does that have to do with the pain that I feel in my body? He said, it's all connected. And he goes into all of this extensive research, and he's showing me these uh, medical articles about how if you have ever experienced any type of trauma, um, that that can lead to the chronic pain that I was experiencing all over my body. And I was like, what? It's all connected. That doctor, and then when I was 25, 25, and uh, my heart started running erratically, and then they wired me up. I had a halter monitor on, and um, they would page me if, if any arrhythmia or anything that concerned them, and they would chart down, what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm, I'm sitting down, or oh, I'm on the couch. And so uh, when I went into the cardiologist, you know, and I wrote, wrote about that in um, the earlier chapters, uh, chapter one or two, I, I wrote about that. The cardiologist, she says, uh, you know, uh, whenever you were up doing stuff, your heart beat fine. But when you were at rest, when you were sitting down or lying down or in the bed, when you were still, your heart was so erratic. And so I know your little secret. And I was like, what do you know? She said, so when you're sitting still, have time to think about things that are bothering you. What have you been thinking about lately that has you so off, that has your rhythm, literally it has made the rhythm of your heart off? If your heart keeps running like that, uh, this, Monica, you're going to have a massive heart attack. She said, the things that I'm seeing with your heart is very concerning. I was 25. So now I'm having two doctors tell me, baby, whatever it is. And she sat next to me, a beautiful Indian woman. And she said, whatever it is you are refusing to deal with, you need to deal with it because it is literally killing you. And my final thing, strike three, <laughs> was when I had a student um, who her uncle, who was like her dad, had molested her. And when she was talking about her sexual abuse, it reminded me of trauma that of my own sexual abuse that I, I hadn't dealt with. It wasn't an uncle, but uh, it just, that was a trigger for me. It, it reminded me of things that I hadn't dealt with. And so I'm talking to her and I'm pouring into her and we're both crying. And I told the counselor, I had to report the ordeal to the counselor. And she said, are you okay? And I'm like, this is bringing up too much for me right now. And she said, You've been uh, sexually abused? I said, yeah, several times. And she was like, well, did you ever go to a trauma counselor? I was like, a trauma counselor? A lot of people didn't know they existed. Some people still don't know. But when you go through something of a a traumatic uh, magnitude and you don't go to someone who is licensed, agreed to deal with that, then it sets you up for a hard time. Um, And so... That was the final straw for me, and I knew I needed to get the help that I need, and I was ready to do the work because I wanted to live. I felt like my dad died prematurely. My dad was 37, 37 when he died, and I 
I vowed that that would not be me. That wouldn't be me. And so I felt I needed to live for him. And sometimes you can't, you're not strong enough to do it for yourself. So I did it for him. I said, Dad, you want me to live. And so I I got into trauma counseling. I started praying, journaling, and fasting as I was going through that. And, and with time, God delivered me from that. But that's what led to all of the infirmity. And when I say all of the infirmity in my body, oh, my goodness. I mean, you name it. I've gone through it. I mean, um, from cancer to uh, chronic uh, lung conditions that is supposed to kill me in two to three years. That was back in 2012. We're in 2020, huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. We're in 2020. I'm still here, and my lungs are still good. That that's nobody but God. Nobody but God. You know, the doctors can give you an expiration date, but God says, uh, not so. And He wasn't through with me. He left me here. I mean, I went. Through a tonsillectomy, I wrote in one of the chapters, uh, my chapter that I wrote in um, uh, um, ministry, what God trusted us with, chapter 11. Uh, I wasn't being a good steward of the gift he gave me, a song. I had gotten so discouraged that I didn't want to sing. And I never thought I could get there as much as I love singing. And I wasn't, you know, forget these people, I ain't singing. You know, and I was so upset, and I was so off of church people. And people are like, oh, she's talking about the churches she's been to. No, I'm talking about church people. Let me clear that up. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about church people. I was so off church people. Uh, and God kept saying, use the gift I gave you. And I, I'm not singing. Uh, no. And I mean, within two weeks' time, my body started breaking down tonsillitis. Take the last antibiotic. By the next day, running a fever, fever again, do another round of antibiotics, a different uh, brand, this different family this time, take the last antibiotic. By the next day, running another fever. Then it got to the point where my fever wouldn't lower. And I'm in the hospital and they're threatening to give me an ice bath because Motrin wouldn't do it. Tylenol wouldn't do it. And I just heard God say, I told you. God loves us and he's gentle with us. Oh, but he will chastise us. When, because he loves us, he will chastise us when he sees us getting off. And and then they were, you know, your my tonsils were so corrosive. They were pumping the toxins into my bloodstream. They were like, they have to go. Uh, and I was latter 20s when that happened. And because I'm a singer, one of my tonsillar veins, really thick, the muscles around my vocal cords, very strong. And the doctor blamed that on what happened. So what happened? Um, he um, cut a hole in my right tonsillar vein. He almost severed my carotid artery. He dug deeply into my pharynx. Didn't touch my vocal cords. That's great. That's what that is. That's grace. And um, I'm hemorrhaging. Uh, and, 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 and blood was coming out of my nose, my mouth. He got scared, panicked, clamped me, uh, hyperextended my neck, clamped me shut because I was hemorrhaging from three places and left the building, abandoned me. And on his way to his car, he ran to three doctors. He says, lady, they're bleeding to death. 
Y'all might want to do something. And um, it was the third doctor. One doctor tried, another doctor tried to stop the bleeding. The third doctor came in. He couldn't get it. He came out to my mom, my uncle, and aunt. He said, uh, she's bleeding out. We don't know what happened because the doctor fled, left the scene. Um, and um, they gave me some blood transfusion at the site. All of that, I almost died. I coded. Um, I coded. They care flighted me literally from one building to the hospital. And there, it was literally across the street. I got care flighted across the street. Um, that's how crucial it was. So God bring me back from that, from all different types of sicknesses and diseases. I mean, I don't have enough time to tell you how many, the long list pages of things that it says resolve now in my medical history, resolve, 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 resolve. Um, I went through that and through that, my faith got stronger and stronger because I went through it right. I started off wrong. The tonsillectomy, the way I thought about church people was wrong. I was wrong. I had become bitter. I had allowed my circumstances to make me bitter. And God couldn't use me like that. And thus the book. God said, it's time for my people to heal from the things that have them bitter, things that have them sick. Um, I cannot use them. They cannot be effective if they won't heal from this stuff. We're so boggled down by our own stuff that we can't do what he left us here to do. And that's to disciple. That's to witness. Go ye therefore. And so um, that's what led to all of the infirmities. And it it lasted for a long time. I went from one infirmity to the next, but it was all rooted in the trauma that I hadn't dealt with, that I had tucked to the back part of my head and didn't talk about. That's what um, the infirmity was rooted in. And so I talk about that in um, chapter two of my book. You have to identify the root of the infirmity so you can be healed. And so um, not just regular physical healing. I'm talking about being made whole. So the other side of the infirmity, there's something else that came up last week. It's not just dealing with healing. It's with being made whole. And that is a lengthy, gradual process. It, It happens. It's ongoing. That's what I said. It's ongoing process, definitely. So, yeah. You know, um, during that period, I, I did get a chance to uh, see her throughout the years uh, in that time. And I remember I went up there to her one time. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I wanted you to sing. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I've never heard her sister, actually heard nor her family. When it comes down to singing, like I said, she's a, uh, one of the founding members of second generation. <laughs> uh, like That's her, right. uh, her older sister herself and her and sister, my mom. Yeah, and my mom. Mother, and her oh my God. I don't forget mama's dynamic, she's a powerhouse. Um, I'll have to say not just pertaining to the North singer, but a great Prayer warrior. Yes. Yes. Many days I have used her mama's house, walked on that carpet, and yes, told Lord. her all about my trouble. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, special great shout out to Lucinda Green. Dr. Lucinda, future doctor. Yes. Lucinda <laughs> uh, 
learned it in in my goodness, you know. I didn't know everything in that had transpired. But, mm-hmm. uh, but my but my main thing I wanted to do was not just be there as someone that knew you from church, mm-hmm. but be there as a friend and just okay, you know. Mm-hmm. It was none of my business, but for me to be able to know behind the scenes now, and to be honest with you, a lot of times people feel like, well, you know, um, that, that never would have happened to me, but you never know mm-hmm. what you may do if you're in that boat. That's right. So I tell people, don't ever say you'll never do this, you never mm-hmm. do that, because when people have hurt you, listen, especially <laughs> church folk. Yes. It's bad enough when people who ain't saved mess with you. Right. But if you have your own fellow Christian brother or sister mm-hmm. that may have hurt you, you know, it, it's a it's a deeper hurt. Mm. It just, to me, it's just like family, which it is family. It's family, you know? yeah. So even though you not you may not be related by blood, but right? I'm not gonna say related by love, but related by the spirit. Right. Y'all are connected. Happen, yes. yes. It it's like it's traumatic. Man, it's like know, wow. It, it, it makes you be honest with it. Makes you not want to trust anybody. Right. You and know? I went through that so, too. Yes. So okay. So by you going through that, uh, there may be somebody that may be watching mm-hmm. who's there now, mm-hmm. and for you to be able to get on the other side of not just the infirm- infirmity, but the other side of forgiveness. Yes. The other side of healing wholeness. Uh, can mm-hmm. you share with them, for those who may be watching, can you share with them um, what lifelines that you can give them to make them be able to get out from under that? I will tell you, um, I heard Pastor Bishop T.D. Jake say it, uh, forgiveness is not about but he said, it's not about exonerating the other person, it's about liberating yourself. So I can forgive you I don't have to be in your presence anymore, you know, Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm holding something against you. It's just you're toxic. You're not good for me right now. You burned a bridge. And I forgive you. I love you with the love of God. I'm praying for you. But we cannot hang anymore. We cannot be around each other anymore. And I had to get to that point. Um, I One of the things I learned when I was in counseling is that trust, and I talk about it in – in chapter 11 with ministry, what God trusted us with. I talk about trust and I learned in counseling that trust is not black and white. It's gray. It's very gray. And I've always been a black and white person, very type A, very type A, not as bad as I used to be. Life has taught me to back back a little bit, but I'm, I'm still, it comes up. I'm type A. Um, But trust, she said, Who's one person you don't trust? And I would say, oh, this one. And, well, do you not trust that person? Has that person ever been there for you? Oh, absolutely. There was one person that I couldn't trust with, like, major things, you know. But that same person, if I got sick, I could always depend on that person for me to be able to see that person's face. And so... She said, so you can trust that person. I said, I can. Just not with that. And so you extend the measure of trust, and that's what God does with us. You extend the measure of trust. And as, as I did that, I started being grateful 
for the areas that I could trust people I needed to forgive in. Maybe this person doesn't have this part down, but you know, this person's very dependable when it comes to this and this and this. Um, And as I reshifted and relearned the different color of trust, that helped me to more easily forgive as I began praying and fasting and what God's word said about forgiveness. I said, God, this is in my heart and I don't like holding on to things. I need your help to let it go. I broke. I said, I don't want it anymore. I um, I'm, I, I want to let it go. And when God sees you get to that point where you just want to let it go so you can just heal when you get desperate enough before the healing process can begin, before the forgiveness process can begin, you have to be broken. And when you get desperate enough, then God says, okay, you do your part and I'll do the rest. But you got to be, be willing to do your part. I had to trust God enough. I said, I give you full autonomy of my body. Come inside of my heart. Come inside of my soul. Search me, oh God. And when you find anything that's not supposed to be there, all of the bitterness, all of the resentment, all of the unforgiveness, all of the pain, take it out, would you? Take out that seed of strife. Take out the seed of contention. Take it out of me. I don't want it anymore. It doesn't please you. And when I got to that place, and it it was a process. You know, and especially when you're dealing with repeat offenders who are narcissistic, okay? They didn't do anything to you. You did it to yourself or you did something to them. They're always the victim, but they never own anything. That is when you have to forgive them and love them from a distance because these people are toxic. And, And so, and everybody's like, so everybody you separated yourself from was toxic? No, I separated myself from everybody because like you said brother Brader I was to the point where I didn't trust anybody and I was no good for anybody and I felt that no one was any good for me and so I went I had my cave experience like David had and I was in that pit of destruction and despair and hopelessness and God brought me up out of it and when he did I didn't look back so when people do things to offend me now I'm quick I don't hold on to it now nip it in the butt. I'm like, ooh, you know, when you said this ever right there in the third, I said, please don't handle me like that. The way I'm set up, you know, when you talk to me in this tone, that is going to hurt me. And I love you and I think you're a wonderful person, but we can't do that. Now, if you don't want to be around me like that, you have to learn as you forgive and you learn to trust people. Be very honest with them. Be open. Be vulnerable. Trust them enough to be vulnerable. And if they show you that you can't be vulnerable around them, then don't be vulnerable around them. The Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And I had to learn how to do that. Um, It was a learning process. So as I went through that and I began to forgive and I began to trust, and some people say, oh, you haven't forgave this person or that person because you don't deal with this person or that person. doesn't mean I haven't forgiven the person. That person is toxic. And and, and then it, the thing about me is uh, God blessed me with that. Um, I have any spiritual gift uh, assessment I take, I, it says one of the top gifts, the gift of mercy. So I've always been a forgiving person. So now, now, now think about this. If I say I'm done with the person, okay, 
a lot has happened. And I won't necessarily tell you what all happened because I'm still loyal to my enemies. I'm loyal to people who have their mouths on me. And why am I like that? God made me that way. And I don't regret it. I can't let what people do change who I am. I have to forgive them anyway and let it go. And it's not easy at times. But then I think about Jesus and what he endured and what he went through on the cross while he was in his living his life on this earth for us. And it makes it easy for me. I think about how many times I tell God, I ain't going to do that no more. I ain't going to do that no more. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I did it again. And he forgave me. So if I expect him to forgive me, I have to forgive these people who are the repeat offenders. It hurts. Oh, it's upsetting. But I have to do it. So I can be free. And as I got free, I became whole. I became whole. And uh, I was laughing and talking with my sister friends earlier. And I said, I'm becoming a woman now. They laughed. They said, Monica, you had a baby. I'm pretty sure you're a woman. Yeah, yeah, but like I've never been this emotional person. And I cry all the time now. (laughs) I see something beautiful. Something touches my heart. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, who is? Because I've always been, I've not been that person at all. And just as God begins dealing with my heart, it's becoming so soft. And I'm like, oh, this is so scary. Why am I crying again? (laughs) But it's a beautiful process. It's beautiful pain. I've healed from that pain. And it's beautiful what God is doing for my heart right now. And so you have to stick to it. And some people can do some terrible things to you. But you have to stick to it, stick to your faith, stick to your God, and and know that he will never forsake you. He'll never let you down. And when you don't have the strength in yourself to forgive them and to let things go, trust God. Trust God. And it's not easy. He never said it would be easy. But the more you trust God with your pain, he'll take it away. He'll take it away. And he will show you how to look at things different. The Holy Spirit will open things up to you. Oh, my goodness. That's why that alone time is so crucial. He will open things up and say, you know what? This person is like this to you, but let me tell you about what happened to the person. Right, right, right. And then he begins to reveal things to you, terrible things that happened to this person who is so awful to you. And you begin to understand, and then you begin to have compassion, and that's when you know true forgiveness is taking place. Some people, though, even though you forgive them, you want to be cordial, you want to be nice to them, they will always hate you. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that now. But the people, I'm, I'm people pleaser by nature. I'm a true middle child. But God is delivering me from that. And, you know, you didn't like what I said. You didn't like what, okay. God bless you. You're not going to take it back? No. I said what I said. God told me to stand and be firm and stand up for myself because I used to let people run over me and take advantage of me. And he said, no, I'm one year. He told me a few years ago, he said, I'm calling you to fight. Stand your ground and fight. 
don't run from people anymore. Ooh, because I would run. I would get up out of your life and be like, mm. But he said, no, stay in your ground and fight. The battle is not yours, it's mine. I said, okay. He'll tell me what to say, tell me when to say it, tell me what spirit to say it in, and you can accept it or reject it, but this is it right here. You're not going to continue to do this. And if you continue to do this, then I will take my exit. There you go. And you lay it out like that. Forgiveness. Establish boundaries. Trust God. Let it go. Give God all your pain. All of those things have to be done. You know, it's funny. I never thought about it like that because you're the middle child, I'm the middle child. (laughs) You feel me? Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you were speaking, it made me understand a part of what you said because I used to let people walk over me Mm -hmm. until God told me I'm representing him. Mm -hmm. So if I'm allowing them to walk over me, I'm allowing them to walk over him. Mm -hmm. So I have to, if I'm not going to speak up for my sake, I have to speak up for his sake. That's right. And when I began to start doing that, it actually gave the cowardly lion a heart. Mm. (laughs) So with that, even pertaining to that trust, I'm I'm learning Uh, especially, you know, those that love to be uh, humanitarians, mm-hmm. those that love to see the good in people. My daddy, all, my, to me, the, the nicest, kindest person I ever met in my life was my daddy. Mm-hmm. And he always said, kill him with kindness. Mm-hmm. He always said it. And I'm like, how in the world are you going to be able to still do for someone who don't like you, who try to sabotage yourself? Mm-hmm. But I realized you can't allow people to change who you are. That's right. And with that, a lot of times when we allow people to change who we are, then that's when we become someone that we're not. Absolutely. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. So so with that, and even from the trust issue that you had, um, at what point were you able to see that trust issue where you were looking at them, now it made you look at yourself. When I started taking accountability for it, I started, after God began softening my heart and I started having compassion, he started revealing things about the people, all these people that I had a problem with and I needed to forgive. And my heart began to be soft towards them again. And I was looking at the things before my heart became soft towards them. I was looking at things from a victim's perspective. And then as my heart became soft, I looked at it from a victor's perspective. And that's when it shifted inward. What did I do to contribute to this situation? Yeah, you used me. But I let you use me. I knew you were going to do that. Some things caught me off guard. I didn't know that this person ever would do this to me. Okay, now that I know, why would I continue to go around this person? And I kept going around because I thought forgiveness was, you go back to the same relationship that you had before. That's what 
we do in right. families and right. church. We sweep things under a rug. No one needs to have a conversation about what happened. Are we good now? We're good. But we didn't even talk about what we did, what you did to me, how I responded to it, what was inappropriate, how can we work this out so it doesn't happen again. No one has those healthy conversations. And so if you forgive, by you forgiving, that means that person, and y'all good again, and y'all thick again. And demonizing me, if, if I, so I would do it that way, and then the same thing would happen. Well, duh. Einstein said if you do the same thing, the same way, expecting different results, that's insanity. That is insane. And finally, I got what Einstein was talking about. And as I began to forgive the people and I stopped being the victim, and my identity changed. And then I had to look look, look at me to see what I did to contribute to the situation. Now, some of the situations that happen, sexual abuse, you don't ask for that. Um, but I remember in one particular scenario, I never will forget this, and I, I don't blame myself. I don't blame myself. But right before I encountered this stranger, I was walking in a public place in a mall, and I was, God said, get out. It shook me. I felt this unsettled feeling in my stomach. He said, get out now. There's trouble. And I started walking. I started walking fast towards my car, and I had someone with me, and she is who made me stop. And then we wound up in a very bad situation. I should have, looking back, I should have left her there. (laughs) But I was like, I don't want anything to happen to her. But uh, listen. Self-preservation, we call it, sometimes we call it being selfish, but God told me to get out because there was trouble. I told her what God had told me, and I said, come on, and when she stopped, I should have said, okay, you can stay, but I'm gone. That probably would have put enough pressure on her to make her go with me, but what did I do? People, please. Okay, girl, but we can't stay too long. Let's, uh, come on now. And then wound up in a very bad situation, very dangerous situation. It could have gone completely left. Well, it did go left, but it could have been worse. Um, Some of the stuff, there was a a feeling, intuition, discernment kicked in. And um, But some of the stuff, I, I didn't see it coming. I was completely blindsided. And um, it was nothing I could have done you know about that but um uh yeah um it it dealing with those situations um it made me definitely you know I get to rambling and I don't know yeah, that's 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 <laughs> we're watching time trying to keep track of things <laughs> Like I said, right now, since my mic 
act up. We're going to get them online. Welcome to Reconnect My Heart Podcast. You're on the air with the author, Miss Monica Ellis. How you doing today? Hello, are you there? Your mute. Hello, are you there? Oh, the mute. Oh, the mute. Oh, they can hear. Okay. Okay. Hello, are you there? Okay, I'm gonna see if I can. I'm gonna see if I can work on getting them on the air. There's, it's a number. If you can tell about the number, someone that you know very well. speak. Um, I'll try in a few minutes. I may even just call them and tell them to come over and speak if they like. But um, we're looking in right now, I don't see. We're multitasking. Yes, we are. Especially the trust issue, because a lot, I think a lot of times people think as Christians that we automatically uh, just don't experience anything. Hmm. Many people think, well, because you are a Christian or you trust God, excuse me, you trust God that it would never happen to you. And a lot of times you can trust God, but even though you may trust God, sometimes we allow ourselves to trust people or give people a dose of trust or a level of trust that God did not give us permission to give. That's right. And sometimes what I found out, because you might be a giving person, mm-hmm. you might mm-hmm. love a person, you might do everything you can for a person, and then when you encounter people, we assume that everybody's going to be just like us because of the way that we treat them. Mm. Mm. That's where we get ourselves into trouble. Yes, Lord. And I know myself, you know, this may end up being a whole revival if we mm. some of the stuff that we've encountered. But the main thing, what I, what I learned was even the experiences that we dealt with, like you said, we had to overcome it. Yes. But also, even in it overcoming, not just the things that we threw upon ourselves, but even the things that God allowed that we couldn't control. Right. It helped us to minister to those who are going through the same thing. Same exact. You know, I found out that, you know, the things that we, if you want to know what your purpose is, look at what you've dealt with. <laughs> if you want to know what, what, what is my niche? What is my ministry? Look at what you went through, regardless if you caused it upon yourself mm-hmm. or not. You know, mm-hmm. look at what you went through, and you start doing homework assignments on that. Let yes. me see your favorite subject that you studied. Yes, yes. And look at what God's word said, and what would happen, you end up having a ministry out of your hurt, out That's of your right. pain. That's you know? right. So what I do want to do, what I do want to do, what I would like to do, even for those who may be watching, and I wanted to make sure that to let everybody know, if you are able to respond, 
the next two people who says, I want that blessing. If you post on Facebook, YouTube, or whatever you're seeing it at, even if you are able to listen, if you say, I want that blessing, if you can post that or text it, the next two people or the first two people, I want to make sure to get you this an autographed copy of the book, The Other Side of Infirmity. I want to make sure that you gift this. I want to, I want to at least invest into your ministry for you to be able to see through her ministry what God can do. And if God can do it for her, he can do it for you. For those, the next two people that are able to text that to me, I'm going to see if I can get on here. Um, And while they're texting, um, uh, a great resource for people who are dealing with, uh, you need to forgive someone, Joyce Myers, do yourself a favor and forgive. Joyce Myers, do yourself a favor and forgive her book. Excellent, excellent book to invest into. Yes. um, Another book uh, that really caught my attention, there was a book, I've I've got the author of it but it's called Total Forgiveness. Mm. I was off work back in 2009. And my first day back at work, God told me to go to a specific area in another jail. I went there, went to the library. He told me to take a few steps, stop, turn to my left, reach up to the third shelf, and grab this particular book. Didn't know what it was. I grabbed it. I looked at it and it said total forgiveness. Wow. I opened it up and the first page that I went to, it hit me so deeply. Mm. So it's called total I ended up having a tear come out of my eyes. Yeah. And that book, it, it hit me, it hurt me, it aggravated me because at the time, the person that I had a hard time forgiving, I wanted to remember so it'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. We do that. And so, R.T. Kendall. R.T. Yeah, that's, that's Kendall. Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall. Matter of fact, for the first person who wants that book, I will personally purchase it and <laughs> give it to you. I can't purchase it, but I'm not <laughs> And even just hearing her testimony, and, and this is her first time on the podcast. Yes. And I promise you, it's not the last. <laughs> time. And, and we'll make sure that she will have her own mic. She will have, <laughs> the setup will be perfect. I bought a brand new mic, but I got a, a, an old cord. And the mic works, but the cord doesn't work. Yeah. So, so we had to improvise. Yes. But, but, uh, our goal, we want to see people helped and healed. Yes. This is what ministering is about. Yes. You know, a lot of times people, people, we tell people to go to church. Mm-hmm. We tell people to go to church. Nothing wrong with going to church. We encourage people to go to church. Mm-hmm. But this is the aftercare. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes aftercare. That's right. For us to be able to help y'all because the pastors, the preachers can't. 
saying everything Mm-mm. in one setting. Mm-mm. And especially if you've dealt with this for many years, mm-hmm. sometimes it takes the time for you to be able to get to the root of what's ailing mm-hmm. you so you can be able to get the help that's needed, and especially for those who have gone through what you're going through. Yes. So, like I said, right now, y'all listen to us. Y'all listen to the author, the the minister, the everything, Miss Drink, Miss Drink, Miss You listen to her right now, but just know in a few days, in a few moments, people can be listening to you mm-hmm. as you minister to those who are going through what you went through. That's right. That's right. It's time to go to, from a place to shift from needing to be healed to being healed to being made whole and then ministering launching off and and everybody when you say ministry people think oh i'm supposed to be in a pulpit behind a microphone and uh, you don't have to do that no Mm-mm. god didn't call you for that not all ministry is behind um you don't have to be in a pulpit some of the most powerful ministries are not in pulpits they're in uh, shelters, homeless shelters, right. or they're in uh, domestic abuse homes, or, or there, there's a, a lady with a powerful ministry who, who helps human uh, uh, women who used to be in human trafficking, right. um, young ladies. And there are so many ministries that are powerful that are not in a pulpit. So um, it's time to go from that place of needing to be made whole and um get to ministering what what did God intend for you to take out of the 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 trial and how can you help somebody who's going through a similar situation so we have to get over it we have to get over it. yeah yeah we we have to heal properly we have to get over it so that we can help somebody else get over it extend a helping hand I was literally in that uh, situation uh, last week, looking into a man, and he 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 was on a cane, and his name was Grant Robinson. Walked up into my, I was getting ready to leave work, and he walked into the office. He was lost, and he was on a cane, and I'm looking at his legs. His legs look weak, and see, God had took me up off of a walker, and I had been in his same shoes just last year. And um, I'm looking at him. I was like looking into the face of grace, like this could still be me. It was taking him longer to get over it. But as I said, I'm going to walk with you to where you need to be. I said, you can lean on me. You can use that rail too. And he was like, oh, I don't, I said, it's not a problem, sir. I was just where you were. And I said, I said, oh, your office is over here. It was actually my doctor's office. I said, oh, I know exactly where he said. You go over here? I said, yeah. I said, this is where I get physical therapy. He said, you in physical therapy? I said, well, discharge from one and about to be discharged from the other, literally, this week. Praise God, won't he do it? And uh, and, uh, I said, I want you to look at me. Take a good, long look at me, sir, Mr. Robinson. I said, this is going to be you. I said, this is going to be you. And he said, well, you know, my speech, you know, I'm glad you can understand me because my speech, I said, I understand exactly, sir, what you're going through. He said, you went through speech stuff too? I said, speech therapy. Yes, I did. I said, I couldn't speak clearly. 
people, a lot of people don't know the entire story. So when people were walking up, hey, hit a note, girl. And I'm like, I can't even say a word because you're not going to understand me. I have a spiral. I keep it very close to me. It's in my one of my crates right over there. I was having to take a spiral everywhere to write everything out because no one could understand me. I said, I was where you were. I said, you, can you understand me, sir? He said, yes. I said, do you see how I'm walking now, sir? He said, yes. I said, this is going to be you. This is going to be you, sir. This is going to be you. God heals us so that we can extend that hand out to help others, to have that compassion to help others. Don't judge them. Help them. Help them. And if you can't, direct them to someone who can. That's what it's all about. And that is ministry. I hope that helps someone because when I first heard that, that was a big sigh of relief that came off my chest. Mm. Because so many people, so many people, they put people in assignments that God didn't authorize them to be. Mm. And, you know, so many people are, they're going on other people's purpose. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering why they're not successful. Mm. They're wondering why they don't feel that peace of God because they're operating in somebody else's anointing anointing mm-hmm. a, a, a assignment that they're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. it, but because they're too afraid to do it they're going to label somebody else and just because a person is a great speaker does not mean that they are a preacher that's right you know you know I'll tell you this long term short when God told me to do this podcast, I really thought he was speaking to somebody else. <laughs> um, you know, she no longer with us, but my sister, my sister was supposed to have a podcast. And I told her, she ain't got to worry about paying, but I'll pay for it. I just want her to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the last minute, she said, no, and God was saying, I told you. I'm like, me? <laughs> I had dyslexia. I could not speak. I was not the articulate one. My sister was the articulate one, articulated everything. And then me in school, I would study, I would fast, I would pray and make a C minus. My sister could do a homework, eat popcorn, watch TV, talk on the phone, have the radio on, not study and make an A plus. Mm -hmm. You're (laughs) like, what? That middle middle child. Yeah. But um, what we want to do, we want to be conscious of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any words? Do you have any important words for those who may be watching, who may be going through something? This is a male or female, someone who may have been in church, may have grown up in church, but they felt like, you know what, church has hurt them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who may have been hurt, not by the church, but even by church people. And maybe too afraid to trust anybody from from the wounds that they have dealt with. Can you speak to them right now? I said the best decision that you ever can make right now is to let it go. And when you let go, you give permission to God to take the reins. You say, How do I let go? This thing hurts me so badly. How do I let this go? You have to trust God. Then you have to be ready to do the work. Now, in my book, 
I I chart my healing journey down. Oh, and in the back of the book, something I definitely want to mention, as I'm charting my healing journey down, there's there are questions in the back of the book um, for you to chart your healing journey and um, take what I wrote, connect it to your life so you can learn the most from it. But you have to be ready to do the work. And it's going to hurt. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, it's going to hurt when you're pulling those things up to the surface. And that's why I say you should always be with a licensed or a degreed person who is familiar with whatever you're struggling with, uh, forgiveness, forgiving uh, an abuser, forgiving someone who used you, forgiving whatever the issue may be, a spouse, a child, a wayward child, uh, whatever it may be, you need to get with a counselor. And and uh, minorities, especially, especially church, people in church, we shy away from it. That's what crazy people do. No, sane people get whole by any means necessary. It's crazy. You know what's crazy? It's to stay in the pain, that, in the shape that you're in and think that you are going to be able to do anything worthwhile, you know, completely free, you're bound, you're bound, and you have to be set free. So as as those things are coming up and as God reveals things to you and you journal and you fast and you pray, sit with a licensed degree person, a counselor, someone who can hold your hand and help shape you where you need to be sh- and correct you where you're wrong and get some help, get some help. If you've been through a trauma, go to a trauma counselor. If, if it's a trust issue, you can go to a regular therapist. They even have um, sites you can go to if you want to talk to someone who looks like you. You want to talk to a black woman, you want to talk to a black man, you want to talk to a white woman, you want to talk to a white man, whatever makes you feel comfortable, someone where you can be vulnerable, and you want to talk to someone who's Christian faith-based, you know, because you have a problem with church people, talk to someone who's going to give you the real, but know some scripture to back it up. Okay. And there are a lot of churches who have uh, Christian counselors who are went to school for that and they can help you through that. Now I'm telling you when it comes to church, I'm going to tell you what I wish someone would have told me. Uh, Everybody go to church. They say they don't have a relationship with God. And a lot of them are there as predators. Mm-hmm. So don't expect everybody in church to be holy. I'm tell I'm giving you the real now, and and it doesn't excuse the behavior of what someone may have done to you, but I'm just trying to give you a different way to look at things, and um, to know that. And I talk about this in chapter two. If your foundation of your faith, and that's where mine was. Is built upon what people do to you instead of built upon God, you're in for an earthquake, like I had, of severe magnitude, because your faith should be built on God, regardless of what people do. God is still good. God is still faithful. God didn't do anything, but God allowed this to happen, okay? Uh, he may have allowed it to happen so you can use it to be catapulted into your ministry. 
There's a reason for it. It doesn't always feel good, but it can work for the good. I can't tell you how many young women and young men that I've encountered who've been sexually abused, I knew exactly what to say. And you never think that that pain, that deep pain, can help any honey. I've helped so many people who have talked to me and vulnerable with me. And um, God is good. He's faithful. He's sovereign. Get with, I would say, do be willing to do the work. Pray. Get with a licensed degree professional. And don't stop. Don't start the process and then quit because it's too painful. Go through those emotions. Fall apart. Be vulnerable. But get get you a support a support group, people who are going to surround you with prayer. And I don't know people like that. You can find support groups online and, and meet with these support. They have all types of support groups. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. And then as you do that work and you stick with the process and you trust God, he will show you and teach you how to trust others. And and it even, you know, church hurt never stopped with me. Just because I got over it, church hurt didn't stop. Someone shaded me this morning at church. And you old enough to be my mama. What is wrong with you? I laughed. I had a laugh. But once upon a time, that would have hurt me because she is maternal. And so that's like a mother fit. And then, you know, I dealt with the spirit of rejection my whole life. So that was a form of rejection. It didn't. Baby, it rolled off my back like water. I was a duck quack quack. It rolled off of me because I was like, you know what? I look past that. You're going through something right now. In order for you to be that ugly and nasty and bitter, as old as you are, and I looked past the shade and I said, she's going through something right now. God bless you. I'm going to add you to my prayer list. I'm praying for her. She doesn't even know I'm going to be praying for her, but I'm praying for her. And I'm not upset about it. It's different. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not scared of rejection. So every time I get hit with it, I overreact. Now I'm like, okay, let me see past this. Okay. Everything is not for everybody. I'm not for everybody. I'm very direct. If you don't want the truth, don't come to me. So I may be too much for some people. That's fine. I'm not here for you. God didn't put me here for you. God put me here for them. So you have to find uh, that support group. You know, you have to find, you know, uh, and, and online resources are great. They will ask you what you're dealing with, what area do you live, how many miles, and they will boom, 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 give you a list of resources. Find oh I can't afford. There's so much free counseling therapy available uh, in your local churches, volunteer community groups, where licensed degree professionals have to go because they're trying to get their hours, and you can get professional help for free. If you look into your background, if you're um, in past military services, you can get counseling for free. Look into your job. Most jobs and benefits offer so many sessions for free and you don't have to stay in it forever but do it with a licensed professional do it knowing that God is with you do it with a support group you don't have good friends family whatever you can find a local support group dealing with the same thing you're dealing with and and 
and, and do the work. Be encouraged. Don't give up. Before we get ready to go into prayer, I do have to say this, and I'm so glad that um, Ms. Monica uh, brought this out, but as Christians, we have to remember, even though you may speak to a minister, a lot of them may not be licensed. Mm -hmm. So even as ministers, pastors, whoever, you may trust some of them, but you still have to understand that they're not licensed. Mm-hmm. So it's okay for you to be able to see licensed professionals That's right. and also understand that that is a ministry also. That's right. So Absolutely. Just because you go to a licensed counselor, that does not mean that people are going to judge. Some people, they, if, they, if you feel like they're going to judge you, that's because they're ignorant. They're, they're, they're not knowing of who that person really is in their profession. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we as ministers, we step outside of our boundaries mm-hmm. and we're actually operating illegally. Mm-hmm. Not just in the outside of the law, the uh, Lord, but in the outside of the law. Right. We can't diagnose people. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who are licensed, you can diagnose them. That's right. So, you know, just be mindful for those who may need to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Understand who you're talking to, and even though you may speak to a minister or whatever, but if they're if they're not licensed, mm-hmm. then it's okay to seek professional counselors who are licensed who are also believers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for those who may be watching, for those who may be watching, like I said, we're going to be continuing to watch for those who may. Uh, respond and I'm still going to bless with two books and also it's going to be autographed mm-hmm. also for those who that one person who reach out who may want their book um, uh, Total Forgiveness I will gift you that also Miss mm-hmm. um, Monica for those who are watching um, they may be dealing with some things and if you don't mind normally I always love to end with the word of prayer but mm-hmm. instead of me praying I would like for Miss Ellis to Miss uh, uh, Ellis to uh, pray. Also, before I forget, I want to make sure I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I didn't mention his name, Mister Steve. Yes. Her husband. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for um, hospitality. <laughs> um, we had a great time before we got on the air, but uh, I want to say, you know, thank you so much for you know even this moment. So uh, as we get ready to um, go into prayer, if you have a prayer request, whatever you may have going on in your life, even mm-hmm. if you're interceding for someone, we're going to, this is the opportunity for us to give everything to God. If you're mm-hmm. not saved, I recommend that yes. you understand Romans 10 and 9 says, if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus Christ thou Savior, okay. and believe thou heart that God raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. Yes. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, yes. and with the mouth confession mm-hmm. is made unto salvation. Yes. And just in case you may feel like, well, you know what? I got so many problems going on. You know, I don't want to bombard God or give him or talk to him about all that's going on. <laughs> God want to know everything, everything from your mouth. Everything. He may see it, but he want you to tell him. And he said in his word, cast all, all of them. Yes, he does. He loves you. He, look, he generously.
love you. You don't, and not because of what you can do. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. Right. You might be used to doing things for other people mm-hmm. for them to like you. That's right. But they are just tolerating you. That's but right. God loves you for who you are, but most importantly, for who He made you. That's but right. Don't allow your circumstances to make you miss out. Mm-hmm. Not only who God is, but who God made you. Yes. So everything that you may be dealing with, we're going to throw everything to the altar and we're going to allow Miss Ellis to come mm-hmm. and lead us in the word of prayer. Mm. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you right now, Jesus. God, just saying thank you. Thank you for everything you've brought us to. God, thank you for everything you're currently bringing us through. Thank you for where we are going to be once we get on the other side of this infirmity. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, who may be in the need of a physical healing, God, of a financial healing breakthrough, God, who are dealing with some deep-seated hurts, God. God, who are are at the point where they're saying, God, it's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And, God, I pray right now that you would help them know that you will meet them exactly where they are and that they can turn to you a great Savior who can pick them up out of anything that they're going through. God, just give them the strength, God, to trust you just long enough just to come up out of it to say, hey, I need help. And when they raise their hand for help, God, would you take their hand? Would you take them by the hand? Would you pull them up out of the murk and mire? Would you pull them up out of their pit, God? Would you touch them with your healing virtue, Lord Jesus? God, and give them a strength and a peace, God, that surpasses all understanding. Give them a sign. Let them know that you are there. You're omnipresent. You're Emmanuel, God. You're with them. God, no matter where they go, how deep they may drift off, God, you're there with them. Help them to understand that you bore pain while you were here on this earth, God, and that if you could get up, God, they can get up. God, I speak resurrecting power to everything, dead gold, every dead dream, God, that they have allowed to die, God, and I speak life to every dream. I speak life to purpose. I speak life to ministry. I speak life to their body, God. Let healing virtue Hit them from the top of their head, God, to the very sole of their feet. There is nothing impossible with you, God. And help them to know that they can bring you any sickness, any illness, any broken heart, God. Because you said in your word that you hasten to those who are broken in heart. Psalm 62 and 8, God, help them to pour it all and give it all to you. Give them strength. Give them enough strength to do that, God, and help them know that you can do the rest. And so now, God, I pray, Lord Jesus that they would make an intelligent decision today to do what is necessary to get on their healing path. God, I declare and decree healing. I declare and decree that their faith will make them whole. I declare and decree victory in every area of their lives. But God, give them the strength to go on this journey and help them to know that as they go on this journey, that they are not alone. God, do it by your power. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to thank each and every one who tuned in. And also, once again, I want to thank Miss Monica Ellis. Um, for those who may be watching, can you tell us how to get in contact with you? Oh, you can you can reach me. I have a Facebook uh, page, uh, Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash books by Monica Ellis. You can like me. You can send me personal messages there. Uh, I um, you can 
if you are interested in media inquiry, you can reach out to my publishing company, Covenant Publishing, and they can respond to me. If you are interested uh, in me coming to speak at a conference or to talk to me, you have a question about the book, um, you can also reach out about questions that you may have about the book. If you're on Goodreads, if you're not, get on Goodreads, great program, uh, great website, Goodreads. I'm a Goodreads uh, author. You can go on there. You can find my book on Goodreads, The Other Side of the Infirmity. You can send a question to the author, and I do respond to them weekly. If you go to my Facebook page, I respond to those daily. Um, also on Amazon.com, please go to Amazon.com, and when you find my book, there's a little yellow uh, link there that says follow. Follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ, and you can send me questions there as well. Um, and uh, yes, Covenant, uh, uh, Covenant Publishing, they have all of my contact information, my cell phone number, my email address. I am accessible. Best place is Facebook.com. I'm getting up on Twitter soon. Uh, there, somebody else had my identity on Twitter, so uh, I'm getting on Twitter soon. Um, but you can reach me by any of those means, definitely. In this case, um, for those who may have a hard time or something, we'll definitely uh, post it. And if you want to get in contact with me, I will make sure to relay the message and so y'all get to connect. Once again, I want to thank each and every one who are tuning in. And once again, I thank you so much for opening up your your home and opening up your doors for allowing us to come in and and uh, be able to partake in this time. So, Miss Monica Green Ellis, <laughs> so so much, and I'm so honored. And like thank I said, you for having me. Just the first time, but it won't be the last. Yes. And God bless her with the other books. Yes, there are some coming. She will definitely be here also. So once again, I want to thank each and every one who tuned in. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Reconnect My Heart Podcast. God bless you and good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.